Welcome to the Warrior Project podcast. My name is Em. I'm a growth and development consultant, a wellness coordinator, and a functioning hippie. And I'm Katie. I'm a nurse, wellness junkie, and new mum trying to find her way. We talk about all things health-related, mind, body, and soul. We believe that everything is connected. So buckle up and get ready to have your mind expanded. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Warrior Project podcast. Um, You're here with me, Emmeline. You're not here with Katie, but you're here with my little brother. Stefan, say hello. Hello, everyone. Very (laughs) great to be here. (laughs) So uh, my brother has come to visit me today. It's Sunday. And he's driven 45 minutes because I live really close to the beach. I live north of the river pretty far from my family. So Stefan's come up for the morning. We trained at my home gym, went and got a juice, and then we had a chat and I decided that it would be pretty cool to have him on the podcast. So pretty much the premise behind this podcast relates to the upbringing that Stefan and I had and the way that we have developed into adults and teenagers and it's a spin out whenever people meet us and talk to us they can't believe that we're related because of how different we are and we were having a chat when we were in the gym and I was just saying to Stefan that sometimes during the day when I'm in the middle of a task or I'm doing something for my business normally to do with my business I sometimes randomly feel overwhelming sensations of self-doubt and disbelief and anxiety, uh, which then leads me to have to harness my internal dialogue and challenge those thoughts. And um, I turned to Steph and I said, yeah, do you know what I mean? Do you ever get that? And he was like, no, no, I don't. So I guess what I want to chat to you guys about and also engage Stefan in with is how different people can respond to the exact same stimuli very differently. So, and probably some of this stuff, Stefan and I have probably never discussed like in general. So it will be interesting to see how we discuss it on air live on a podcast. So, okay. So Stefan on a day-to-day basis or a weekly basis when you're like at work or at the gym or in social settings, are there ever any instances where you're overwhelmed with feelings of like anxiety, debilitating fear, self-doubt, any of those things? Look, very rarely. I think, you know, contextually it would make sense to talk a little bit about um, my journey in the sense that I pretty much decided from when I was about 13 years old that I was going to be a lawyer and that I wanted to be a lawyer. And I never really had a doubt from that moment where I decided that that was what I was going to do, that that was what was going to happen. Um, So, you know, even, you know, different uh, trials and tribulations along the way, whether it be in high school, in university, no matter what it was, I never really felt any resistance or any moments where, um, I had a moment of doubt that it wasn't going to work out. Um, so in that sense, I would say up till the point where I started working as a lawyer, which, you know, I've been practicing as a lawyer now for 
three years, I had never really dealt with any moments of, um, oh, maybe I won't get into law school or maybe I won't pass this exam or maybe I won't get a graduate job. So question, did those thoughts never come up? Yep. So you just, so those thoughts just never just came never up. come up. I just was so sure that the path that I had chosen, that I was going to achieve it and I did achieve it. And now I think the only, you know, the only difference is when you join the real world in the sense that you're not at university anymore, you're not in high school, it's not an abstract academic endeavor anymore. In the real world, you're dealing with real people with real life monetary consequences. Your advice means a lot more. And there's a heightened level of pressure and anxiety in my job in general, which is why 50% of lawyers have mental health issues. So I think since I've joined the workforce, it's been the first time I've ever dealt with any moments of self-doubt or anxiety. Mm. But I would still say that it doesn't ever cripple me to the point where, you know, I'm kind of stopped in my tracks. I'd say it's more just a probably a healthy reflection Mm. of... um, you know, the heightened level of work that I'm doing and the high pressure and the high intensity and the being at the big firm, working for the big partner, that sort of thing. But I would definitely say for, you know, I'm 27 now, for at least 24 years of my life, it's something I had never experienced. Okay, question. So you mentioned that when you were 13, you made the conscious decision whether it was like an internal knowing or a decision or whatever to become a lawyer yep how do i word this does being okay so being a lawyer now Mm -hmm. and deciding you wanted to be one back then yep is what you're doing does it feel authentic to you like do you feel like yeah i feel very aligned i feel like i am able to be my authentic self as a lawyer is this Um, authentic for you i would say my personality doesn't link up or match up with the legal profession in general and in terms Mm. of the personalities that the legal profession attracts Mm. um so for example like at my firm my firm has about 200 lawyers i would say i only really click on a personal level with probably two or three people in the whole firm the rest of the people it's a definitely a work relationship Mm. um Generally, I mean, I think there's aspects of my personality that are very much do it by the book, follow the process. But I also think I have a more creative side to me. You know, I'm, I love film, I love poetry, I love writing. So, like, I definitely would say that I'm not your typical lawyer. But then in saying that, there is, there's huge variations in the legal profession. I do know a lot of people that are not robots that are lawyers. But I think the stereotypical lawyer, I would not fit that pattern. So in that sense, I probably don't feel aligned with the expectation of what a lawyer is and their role in society. I would say I have more personality than Mm, that. mm. Um, But I mean, in terms of the work that I do and how challenging I find it and the results um, when you get a good result for a client or when you work on a complex deal, the satisfaction that I get from the work is quite intellectually stimulating and satisfactory and aligned in that sense. If you woke up tomorrow, yep, and you and okay, let's just say you wake up tomorrow and the demand or the need or whatever for being a lawyer mm-hmm. was removed from society, yep. Can you see yourself being anything else apart from a lawyer, or would you wake up and be like, "Fuck, I'm gonna have to 
rethink my entire life because being a lawyer is the only thing I can see myself doing. It's the only thing I no, feel. No, it's not the only. It's not the only thing I can see myself doing. I can see myself doing plenty of other things. Like what? I've always seen myself um, being a teacher, particularly an English teacher, an mm. English teacher, a history teacher, whether oh. it's at a university level, whether it's at a high school level. Level. I, I like. Um, I've always liked. For example, I'm a basketball player. I've always liked coaching engaging with the youth and I feel like teaching would be an extension of that in a different context. Um, with my current job, I can't coach anymore. Just the mm. time commitment is not there. But I mean, I can see myself doing something like that. But I mean, ideally, if I if I could do anything in the world and money wasn't an issue and there would just be $1,000 deposited in my bank account every single day, I would probably just train full time and like try and be a strength athlete because that's the thing I enjoy the most in terms of like pleasure the pleasure mm. that i get from it you know what i mean but the, re the reality is it probably came to the sport a bit late um yeah a lot of it is genetics a lot of it is you know building up a base at this point it's pretty hard to get your foot in the door at 27 years old yeah not impossible but um but i mean that's the thing that i get the most i think we both enjoy training and yeah. going balls to the wall okay so okay so that's really interesting so I can, so for example, okay, see, okay, your, I feel like your perception on work and the world and careers is quite, it's pretty balanced, it's pretty rational, it's pretty logical. Whereas with me, mm -hmm. I can't see myself doing anything other than what. I'm doing right now, unless I literally had to, mm -hmm. like literally had to, had no choice, and there was a gun to my head, then I would probably work in an office. But that's because the nature of your work is so different to the nature of my work. My mm. work, to do my work, you need to be employed by a firm, especially at the level I'm at, you need to work for someone. Like there's no one at my age working for themselves because it's just not possible. Mm. Like you just, you wouldn't get the insurance, mm. you know? So... I just think the the type of our work is so differently where if there was a nuclear holocaust tomorrow, you could still do your job. Yeah. If if there was a, a real pandemic, not a fake one like the current one. We're not going to be discussing. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not going, we're not going down a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. No, no, no. Well, I was saying, if there was an actual contagious disease that was actually affecting people and 99.9% .9 of people didn't recover from mm. um, and you weren't able to access clients anymore, you would just transition your business to 100% online. Mm. So, I mean, the the ability for you to wake up tomorrow and say, no matter what happens, I'm still going to be able to do what I want to do, you've got a longer leash than I do in that regard. Right, okay, yeah. I understand I just that. think the nature of the work is very different. I understand the point you're making, though. Yeah, yeah. But I think the nature of the work is so different that it's just not comparable. It's apples and oranges. I wonder if... So bring it back to the to the theme of this podcast. So when you were 13, mm -hmm. you made that conscious decision, I want to be a lawyer, that's what I'm going to be. Yep. And then you didn't doubt yourself no. in that entire process and then here you are, you know, however many years later and you're a lawyer. I feel as though, see, and obviously, so, okay, so Stefan and I, we have awesome parents even to this day. I mean, I, I can understand how my parents may have played a role in my mental health issues, but there's, I still find it quite confusing how I developed the intensity of my mental illness because 
our upbringing was was very good. It was full of love, compassion, support. It was, yeah, very, very wholesome. So I guess what I find so interesting is that when Stefan was 13, he made this conscious decision, I want to be a lawyer, whatever. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to be a writer. That's always what I've wanted to be. Whether it's writing a book, blogging, I've always wanted to be a writer. Now, this is where you can probably jump in with a with an explanation. When I was in high school, so right up until high school, I want to be a writer, want to be a writer. When I got to high school, I said to mum and dad, I want to go to uni and do creative and professional writing as a double major. Mum and dad said to me, we think you should do a business degree as well. Yeah. And I was like, but that's not what I want to do. I don't want to. I want to be a writer. Like mm-hmm. I want to somehow write. And they said, well, I don't think that just having a double major and an arts degree and you wanting to be a writer is going to be enough. Mm -hmm. I really think to expand your opportunities, you should do a double degree. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. For some reason, from that point on, I doubted my ability to be a writer. And so I obviously studied marketing slash management as a commerce degree as Mm -hmm. well as a Bachelor of Arts degree. When I graduated uni, I had no fucking idea what I wanted to do, which is why I did personal training because I was like, this is going to be a quick way for me to start making money because I know a lot about training and this is going to be great. And I feel, so I'm 30 next month and only within the last two weeks have I come to the realisation that not only do I still want to be a writer, but I have put it off for the last 10 years of my life because I didn't think that it was possible for me. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. I doubted my abilities to do it. And it's only been within the last two weeks that I have realized this is the only thing that I feel is authentic to me as well as doing my coaching and my mentoring. But a big part of that is me speaking and writing my truth through words which is why now I'm spending all this time building a website. I'm wanting to do blogs. I'm going to start writing eBooks, continue with coaching. And I feel like if mum and dad had said something like that to you, I don't think you would have let it impact you as intensely as what it impacted me to the point where I have doubted my abilities on and off and oscillated between self-doubt and self-belief pretty much like my entire adult life from a teenager. Well, they did now. say something similar like that to me. The lawyer, the the being a lawyer was not the first thing that I landed on that I wanted to do. I I remember two distinct conversations with Dad. One where I wanted to be a butcher. I did not. I did yeah, not know that. I, I was on the butcher train for like <laughs> six months. What? And they just like. I talked about being a butcher for like six months. And after about six months, dad said, like, do you know how much butchers make? You wouldn't be happy. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. And then dad like did a rundown of like a spreadsheet with me. He's like, okay, you're going to make this amount of money. Mm. Your car's going to cost this. Your Mm. house is going to cost this. Mm. Your kids are going to cost this. Mm. What are you going to do? Okay. I remember being like, oh, that's a bit overwhelming. Yeah. And then I talked about teaching as well and got like a similar response from dad about teaching. Um, which I mean, like the irony being that like, especially young lawyers, like you don't really make people, people have this, um, perception of lawyers that as soon as you come out of law school, you just make it bank. It's really not like that. No. Most of the lawyers that are making 
really good money, they're 10 years out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's, yeah, but I mean, I never let it impact me. Pretty much the, the way I formed the decision was very much like you. I love writing. Um, I particularly like writing poems, but like I used to love, I did English Lit in high school. I, you forget that I actually did an undergrad arts degree yeah. in um, law and society and creative writing. That's so right. like I love, I always loved, and poems were my particular thing that I loved writing mm. and reading. Um, so I've always been like obsessed with language and and they were always my favourite subjects in school, yeah. history, English. So I, I pretty much made an assessment on what am I going to be able to use my love of reading and writing to the maximum capacity in terms of earning potential and intellectual stimulation. Mm. Because I think dad was right in one regard in that I don't think I would be stimulated, for example, being a butcher. Mm. I think the mystique of being surrounded by meat and (laughs) it would have worn off pretty quick. So I think dad was right in that regard. Um, But like teaching, I think I would be sufficiently stimulated by being a teacher Mm. and I think it would be a different more wholesome feeling that you get from it in law you're very detached from your work there's no emotion involved in it yeah most of the time you're dealing with you know facts um, yeah and and just high pressure situations and it's very fact and detail orientated there's not much room for creative expression so really doesn't really satisfy my love of language and writing like I thought it Mm. would um it's it satisfies the intellectually stimulating component but um, that's why I still like to write every now and then, you know, a bit of journaling. Um, I've had like a film script that I've written on and off for like a few years now. It's nowhere near finished, but mm. like, I just like to, to write and get it out. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess you're right in that you, you're definitely right in the sense that when I had that conversation with mum and dad, it did not impact me like it impacted you. Mm. Things, things are like water off a duck's back to me. Like, um, unless it's something that I'm super, super passionate about that I find offensive to my very being, mm. which is a very limited list of things, mm. nothing anyone says to me is going to, I've never, I've never cared. It's like I was having this conversation with someone recently about rejection. Like mm. this is uh, with a guy that I'm friends with and how much he fears it now that he's single. Mm. And I remember just thinking like, it's just something I've never cared about. I've literally never cared Mm. about rejection. Mm. If anything, my response to rejection used to be like, it's your loss. You're making a wrong assessment here. Yeah. Because like, I'll be really (laughs) intellectually stimulating, engaging person for you to talk to, (laughs) you know, there's not many guys like me out there. So it's actually your loss. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and that's another regard. It's just like, and that's, I think that's um, people's, what's holding people back in general in society is their fear of rejection, whether it's going for a promotion, taking a risk, writing a book like you described before. Mm. Um, and it's funny that you, you talk about identifying as a writer because growing up, I think I always identified you as a writer as well. Really? But I'm not sure if that's because you always spoke about it or if it was just my assessment of what you were going to end up doing. Because I, I do remember when you were studying, mm. you did the double, but you were much more interested in the writing. Yeah, and I had those two short stories published whilst at uni. I was yeah, always yeah. writing. I remember that. I remember all that. And I remember I remember reading even, like, the things that you wrote. And, mm. you know, you obviously had quite a talent for it. So mm. I'm, sure, um, I'm sure it's not too late. Mm. I think as well, something just while you're talking, there's lots of stuff coming up. So we'll backtrack. We're probably going to have to do like a part two of this podcast 
and potentially a part three. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if maybe this is my perception yep. of mum and dad, but I know that I have found it really hard to divorce myself from placing a lot of my self-worth in my income. So I feel as though a lot of the conversations that I have with dad that leave me feeling deflated and like a piece of shit are because of money. And I feel that a lot of the assessments that dad makes on things that I try to discuss with him or ask him, I feel like a lot of the time it comes back to money and how much I'm going to Of course it does. He's the treasurer. Yeah, I know. But I also feel that having conversations that are constantly around monetary value, I have found it now at 30 years old, like I see my value a lot and see my worth and Mm. I'm not earning a fuckload of money. But it's taken me 30 years to realise that my worth and my value is not dictated by how much money is in my bank account. Yeah. And I feel like that only happened when I got on this, you know, self-development grind and journey. But right up until far out probably when I was like 24, 25, when I had just graduated uni, I still placed a lot of my worth and my value on my ability to earn a certain amount of money. And I had this thing in the back of my head where I was like, oh, mum and dad will be proud when they can see that I have a house that's, you know, you know, that's got a big mortgage that I'm earning over a hundred K a year consistently. Like that's when they'll be proud is when I, when they can see that I'm earning a fuckload of money. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe without realizing dad and mum have potentially cultivated that belief within me, which is that emphasis on money. And I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like, Growing up, dad's narrative was always, I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. Yes, I do remember that. That was that was something that he said a lot, but I'm not yeah. sure his his um, further comments in mm. other conversations reflected that. Yes. So it's very it's all well and good to say that comment, but if your actions don't reflect that you actually believe that, mm. then obviously you're gonna be drawn more of what to to what you actually think he believes. Yeah. And I do think, um, yeah, I mean, monetary, uh, you know, savings and um, and earning potential, I think, does mean a lot to him. And I also think it means a lot to him because he grew up with nothing. Mm. So to him, it's not just about money. And, you know, it, I don't think, I don't think dad measures money against self-worth. I think he measures it against security. Yes. And I think he measures and stability. it. And stability, yeah, and mm. ability to provide for your family yep. and all the things that he was hyper-focused on mm. because he didn't have that. I mean, the, th- the story I think which always is like, you know, the quintessential kind of Eddie story is the, you know, sitting in the house at 21 years old with both his parents dead yeah. with no concept of even how to pay the bills with no power on yeah, and, you know, no food in the fridge. And, mm. like, mm. when you when you go back and you think of that Eddie. Which is our dad. Eddie's our dad's name. Um, I think it, you know, it gives a lot of context to yeah, I agree. why he's like how he is now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I would like to think that he still does 
put the highest premium on his kids being happy because I do think that is true. But I do think if if there's ever a choice between perhaps more earning potential and less, he's going to push you in the more well, earning potential. I also, which is why you know, I mean, I think it's been an issue for you more than it's been an issue for me, but it's still yeah. been an issue for me mm. in that. Um, I think you definitely do have to get to an age or a development point where you just really don't give a fuck what your parents think anymore. I know. Because. It took me 28 years. It wasn't yeah. until I was 28 that I decided to give less fucks and not give many fucks. 28 years old. Yeah, because I think, I, think I think it's healthy and beneficial up to a certain point mm. to take on your parents' advice because, number one, structure and discipline and boundaries make you feel loved mm. and also they do help you achieve your goals mm. but I think once you have the framework it does become a bit of you need to spread the wings and break the chains yeah and I think once mentally you're comfortable with breaking the chains um because like for example I would still go to mum and dad for guidance on a lot of these of on a lot of these issues but at the end of the day, I don't really care what they think in in the sense of career direction or um, in terms of their expectations. I'm more focused on my own happiness, my own goals. It, it, so, for example, like something I used to be super concerned about was bringing home a partner that mum and dad didn't like. I don't know why. I was see, always... I've never see that. I've never given a fuck. Yeah, I have see, brought home some hyper... pieces of shit and not. Cared. <laughs> see, I've always. I know you have. I, I fucking didn't like any of them. Um, but I, I've always been hyper fixated on like this this uh, this idea in my head that I would bring a girl home and Mum wouldn't like it. I don't know why. Mum likes everyone. Yeah. But I, I always just had that in my head. That, but then now I'm kind of like, if that was really a dictating factor in who I chose in a partner. And Jesus Christ, yep. I need to have a look at myself. Yeah. Um, and I it's used... not anymore. I would, I, w- I would seriously not give a flying fuck now. But... See, I used to be like that with dad. Like I wanted dad to like. I think girls has... always want yeah. male dad yeah. approval though. Josh has been, so Josh is my current, is my fiance. Josh has been the first and only guy that dad has said to mum, message Emmeline, tell her I like him. <laughs> I really like him. I like him. I like him a lot. Th- that Josh is the first and only one. First and only one. And before that, though, I knew he didn't like the other ones, but it didn't phase me because I knew in my gut I'll leave them when I want to. Like I just, like, you know. Yeah. So I find it interesting that the one that I've ended up being engaged to is the one that Dad actually likes. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to put a pause on this conversation um, because I feel like there's a lot of stuff that Stefan and I can continue to flesh out. Um, So what I'm going to do is we're going to record another one and it's going to be a part two and we're going to dive a little deeper into how mine and Stefan's values are different, how they're different from our parents. And then I'm going to ask Stefan a few more personal questions about how he felt about my mental illness, how it affected him and what he thought of it. Um, which I've been pretty much waiting for this point because now that I'm, you know, completely mentally stable, you know, nothing offends me now with regards to my mental health history. So um, as usual, thank you for tuning in. I really hope you guys are finding this as interesting as what I am. Um, So there will be a part two of this podcast, but until then, um, if you liked this, please share it. 
please give me a five-star review. Katie will be back soon, hopefully, when Ollie is um, a little bit older, like a few weeks older. Um, I can be found on Instagram on The Warrior Project. If you have any questions, queries, comments, feel free to message me on there. Other than that, thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you on the next one.